Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of What's Your Issue, a weekly comic book podcast that reviews comic books every week. And I'm just going to have to tell you that um, it would just be me, Stephen Laura, here for this episode for the podcast. Uh, Aga won't be making it today because something personal happened in his life and he was not emotionally ready to be on the podcast, but he will be on the podcast next week of What's Your Issue. So look forward to seeing him next week for for next week's episode. Today I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently. I'm going to be doing... The review set for the review segment. I'm gonna be doing nine issues for just instead of doing the usual three that I review, and I'm gonna be doing two for best of the week, and not gonna be doing honorable mentions. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do my pull just my my own pull just my pull list. So right now. I'm going to start with cover number five. It's the is written by Brian Michael Bendis. Artist is David Mack. And Michael Avon Oming is a, is, does a little art part in the comic book. There's like a, a book that... The character that Bendis is supposed to be, which is um Owen James, his comic book has Michael o- Ivan Oming's art in there, so that's why he's included in the credits. The colorist is Zoo Arzuru, and the letters is Carlos Mangle. And in the story of this issue goes with, it first starts with Max, Max um Maxfield. Going into, he has like a dinner party with all of his friends and a whole bunch of comic creators and their wives and children. It's like a a family dinner type of thing. And in there, they just have casual conversations. And there's one thing that Owen James notices about Maxfield is that he's kind of under the weather. He's not feeling comfortable in this talking with his friends here and by the time the conversation's over and later on they they the all the comic creators that were sitting on that dinner ends up getting a phone call and they get an invite to come to yeah, they get an invite to come to some comic convention from Julia. So everyone goes to the comic convention. They end up... Yeah, everyone goes to the comic convention. They meet up with Julia. And there's a big party over there. And Max feels uncomfortable. And he tells Julia if he can move aside. And yeah, they... Julia is... Yeah, Max feels, feels uncomfortable with what Julia is doing lately, and he's been wondering what she's been. Why did she invite all his friends to a com- this specific comic convention? And Julia talks about. Uh, she tells him there's a 
Esau sends the artist that that in the previous issues was punching Maxfield and they're yeah, he's in the comic convention and supposedly he wasn't invited, but he's there. Julia is saying that that's the problem. He's in, he was in, he was not invited here, but he came in here anyway. So I think I need for you to talk to him and bring him to supposedly her side. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but it looks like we will see what that means in the next issue. But so far, that's what the story's about. And I decided to give this issue a 7.5 because it was okay. The I don't know the the thing is the part where they had the casual conversations with um with Maxfield and Owen James and a whole bunch of other comic creators there in the dinner. It was a lot of casual conversation and it went way too long and to me, it just didn't gravitate towards me, to be honest. I just... The casual conversations felt boring. And they just felt like... Com- like, words just throwing out everywhere. It just didn't feel like a smooth conversation. And Bendis has a habit of doing that sometimes. The conversations don't go as fluid. It's just a whole bunch of casual words throwing out there and... You got to try to make some sense of conversation in there. And that part was really boring. And I just didn't enjoy that part. There was some... I do like the the times that Maxfield has the Japanese art style in there in the book. And he's in the self... And is in thinking to his thoughts of how he's been feeling these days. And how his whole life history has affected him in this moment I like that part and it seems like the book is going to pick up at towards the end with uh, Julia and Owen James and Maxfield talking to each other and then this Issa sends in there that the book picks up a little bit there but then it cuts off that's the end of the book and it looks like it's going to build up to something maybe great. I'm not sure. This this issue and the last issue were kind of weak ones. So I'm hoping the last issue, the way the story ends, will be a much stronger issue for this, for this series. And the next issue is the last one. So I decided to give it a 7.5. It was okay story. Didn't, didn't do much to me. The next book I'm going to be talking about is Superior Spider-Man number two. The writer is Chrysos Gage. Penciler is Michael Hanthorne. Colorist is Judy Belair. Inker is is Wade Von Gonbadger. And the letters is VC uh, Clayton Cowles. And for this issue... I gave it a 7.0. I just... And, I mean, the story for this issue, I should just said that, is that Superior Spider-Man is fighting... Yeah, he's fighting Tesseract throughout the entire issue. And during the issue, he tries to contact Anna Maria to make the... to get his tech 
prepared. And during the fight, she she builds a tech as he's fighting Tesseract and getting his ass whooped. Eventually, Anna Marie builds a weapon, gets to put it on, puts the weapon on Tesseract, and there's like a big explosion, and all of a sudden, uh, Superior Spider-Man becomes like a cosmic spider, some um, Superior Spider-Man, and he has to probably defeat Tesseract in the next issue. And the reason why I gave this issue a 7.0 because I don't know this series is not doing it for me, and there's no specific reason why Tesseract is here. He's just here, and he's just destroying stuff here, and it's just destruction upon destruction. There's just I don't know. There's just a fighting scenes with, with Superior Spider-Man. And Tesseract, they're just constantly fighting each other. And to me, the art is not that interesting. It's okay, so at best. It's just not the best art that I've seen. Yeah, just it's just a simple art. Nothing too flashy, what Mike Howard, Howard Thorne is doing. And I don't know, the the the, the writing's alright. I, I gave it a 7.0 because it's just not doing it much for me and it's just an action issue and to me it doesn't seem like Otto to be getting a cosmic version of himself just to defeat Tesseract. I would see more of a tech upgrade type of thing because to me I've seen Otto upgrade himself with technology more than just like some type of cosmic magical thing. I don't see Otto as a way of making him to a super cosmic being to be a villain. I see more of him using technology and his intelligence to actually defeat a villain. I know there is intelligence in beating and making that tech to make him cosmic, but I don't know. I just don't feel. Um, I could say I don't feel comfortable with him making him to a cosmic being of himself with technology. It, to me, it just seemed like auto style. And I don't know. This book is just not doing it for me. I don't know if I'm going to continue picking it up. But I'm going to tr- try to see if another issue and see how this goes. It's not a terrible issue. I can say it's a little bit in the middle. And that's the reason why it has a 7.0. Next up is Outcast number 38. And this this creative team is written by Rival Kurtman, pencilers Paul Axea, colorist is Elizabeth Brewster, and letters is Russ Wulton. In this issue, the villains of the, the um the fight opposite of Kyle and his and the people that he's fighting. I mean that he's teamed up with. There's villains like. With Roland Tusk and his people, they have in a meeting and they meet up with their leader. Apparently, is a person that's higher than Roland Tusk in here. So they have their conversations, and then the story cuts off to the Reverend. He's having his his he's doing his church um, ceremony. So 
he's speaking to his people and at the end he speaks to some child called Logan Ross. Yeah, he he talks about that he shouldn't fear what's going on, just be just be calm and be ready for anything. I, I, if you need any way of calming yourself down, you can go talk. You could go talk to him, and it's a little converse. I mean, after that conversation is over, it's a conversation with Kyle. They talk to each other, and Kyle is concerned about having so many people here, and he's wondering if. They have enough food supply. The Reverend says we do have enough food supply because everyone's bringing their own food from wherever they're they're coming from. He realizes Kyle realizes that okay, we won't worry about it since like you're prepared. Kyle talks to his wife and he's like worried about himself because he does not sure he's prepared for this. He feels like he's a complete failure and that like. This whole protecting this whole all these group of people that are um, working for him and fighting against those the villains of the story. They're yeah, they all worried about that and yeah. So for this, yeah, they all worry about. He's worried about that, and his wife finds a way of getting through him and make him not feel like a complete failure. So there goes that. And then there's a conversation with Kyle's sister and Kyle's sister and, and Simon talk about, he doesn't have a plan, a game plan when he said he originally did have a plan. So they have a complaint about that. And then there's a conversation with Roland Tusk and his wife and some reason she's coughing off some black stuff that's which is like the the evil spirit thing probably taking over her i that's what i think i've seen i've seen here and then she's kind of worried concerned and roland looks pissed off and then it cuts off to the reverend they say that something's going on with logan like people that went to go see the reverend they they speak to him that something's wrong with Logan, so they go in to go see with Logan, and he's possessed by the evil spirit. So that's how the story ends. There, that's a lot of like stuff going on in this book. So sorry, but it was long-winded to explain it. And I gave this issue a seven point, a seven point five. It was all right. There was a lot to take in and. To me, a lot of it was a lot of casual conversations there, too, in here. But the casual conversations is much more organized here. So I had a little bit more fun with this issue. It was just, to me, not much happened because they weren't talking about any important plot points of the story to move it forward. It was just... They were just there just to be there, just to fill up the pages, I've, I've noticed. So... Not much went on, and I don't know much about this Logan character. I had they, sh- I don't remember much about him, and I think they should have, you know, discussed about more about him and who he was. But he probably could do that in the next issue. Who knows? And see what this, what this will set up to. So 
it was okay issue. Now I'm gonna be talk about Justice League number sixteen. The story's written by Scott Snyder and James Tang the fourth. Artist is Jim Chung and Steven Segura. Colorist is Tom Tam Murray and Will Quintina. Inkers is Chang Morales. I mean Chung Morales and Segoya. And the letters is Tom Lapatiniano. And in this issue, Martian Manhunter is talking to this older uh, Martian that he knew for years that was living on Dangar. And they're talking to each other about that there's a dark secret involved here, which is that the Dangarnerians here were not... They're not really dang guardians. They're apparently the race died a long time ago, and Shahira decided to team up with this Martian and use her to create new dang guardians. And the dang guardians are now a mixture of human DNA with Martian DNA. So yeah, they're just a whole bunch of people here that she had created they're protecting the knowledge of the universe because they felt threatened that you know that people are going to intervene this planet because they have collected so much knowledge of the universe in in this planet so they had to find some way to protect it and that was the only way to protect it and there was a, another dark secret with martian manhunter that when he was in Earth, humans were experimenting on him and trying to like figure out what was his powers or what he was created by, etc. Which is basically doing studies of Martians and he did not know about. And in that issue, there's there's also a fight between John Stewart and the Green Lantern Corps and Shahira, Savage Hawkman. They all. They're all fighting each other in this in this issue, and then how? I mean, not how George John Stewart ends up um, convincing the Green Lantern Corps to fight on his side, and they he finds a way to convince some other. So they do go on his side, and they continue to fight the Dargarians, and eventually, eventually, the the. Martian woman that's there totally forgot her name she ends up getting you know she's dying she ends up getting killed like she was slowly dying from herself like she ends up dying and all the dank guardians ends up evaporating and eventually you see Batman, Wonder Woman and Superman and Starman by the end of the story they teleport to where the um, Dangar and whatever everyone is, and he ends up giving he ends up giving con uh he ends up giving Hulk girl um yeah I just totally forgot her name for a bit um yeah he ends up giving Ken- Kendra Saunders he ends up giving Shahira's memories that she had in the past yeah, he ends up giving her all her memories. And now they're supposed to be two separate people, and I don't know. They don't explain that clearly. I don't. I don't know what's what's there, going on there actually. 
I guess I have to look more into in the next issue. So yeah, and he tells the whole Justice League that he has to get ready to fix things and to come back to Earth and we have to fix the source wall and what's been going on lately. So the issue cuts off there. And I decided to give this issue a, a seven point a seven point five. I just I mean I gave it a seven point oh. It's just I like the revelations of what the Dengarnian Prime is what happened to it and what is what is actually become. That's the only part I did like. But they went they didn't go through the like a lot of things weren't explained here in detail. It's like they just brushed up on it and they expect you to I guess make up something from there. And I just didn't like that. I didn't like that in the issue there's also with um you you um in the issue where the Starman comes in and he just yeah he just teleports there and he just gives uh um, he gives you know Kendra Saunders the memories of Shahira Hall, and they he said that there's something wrong that they're 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 both not supposed to be here, yet he still lets them to allow live here. So what was the point of all that? I don't understand why would he give her the memories of Shahira Hall if the other Shahira Hall is still there? To me, it doesn't make any sense because he said they're not supposed to. Both exist at the same time as two separate beings, but eventually he just allows that to happen for some odd reason, and that for some reason it's not explained. To, to me, it seems like he was gonna merge the two into one being, but he doesn't do that. He just does the opposite. So the conversations were kind of weird, and I don't know. For some reason, I did not get what the hell was going on. So yeah, it seems like they were explaining some things, but not the full the full picture of the story. They're just giving you a brief explanation of what's been going on here, and it was kind of I guess you can say half-assed with the storyline here. So I wish things were explained in more detail. That's why I didn't enjoy it as much. The art was pretty impressive. I like the art here. I did like the fighting scenes with. With John Stewart and the Green Lantern Corps fighting Shahira and Savage Hawkman and the other Hawkman, that was pretty cool. But yeah, the, the the art was pretty cool. It's just that the story was felt kind of flat to me. Um, there wasn't much interesting story points for this issue. That's all I have to say for this one. And the next issue is now is Teen Titans Go number thirty two. This is this. So, Teen Titans, this next book I'm talking about is Teen Titans number 32. This book is usually split by two stories. So, there's going to be two sets of creative teams for this issue. And the creative team for the first one is with, starts with the writer is Amanda Debert. The artist is. Erich Owen and the letters is Wes Abbott. For the second story is Jay Torres for the writer. The artist is Angie's Garboska and I mean the colorist is Franco Riesco 
and the letters is Wes Abbott. That's uh, that's what it is for this book. And uh, so yeah, the story, the first story is about the Teen Titans. They have a skiing vacation, so they end up going to do some skiing. They end up going to to having a a skiing event vacation, and they. They go over there, and for some reason, Raven doesn't feel comfortable because she starts thinking of her about her past, where she burned the snowman that she created when she was a young little child. I guess a younger child than she is in this series. So there's she doesn't feel comfortable, so she decides to walk out and beat herself. And Cyborg and Beast Boy decide to spend their time separately, and Starfire and Robin spend their time separately. Rob, I mean Beast Boy and Cyborg do their little skiing. Tri- they do they do some skiing on the snow, and Beast Boy hurts himself. He he has some boogers coming out of his nose, and it cuts off to uh, Robin making snow bunnies for Starfire, and his hands get frozen. He's all like full with ice, like he's getting frozen. And eventually, for some reason, the there's like an avalanche, and all running behind Robin and Starfire, and the um the yeah the the boogers end up going on the snow bunnies, and they're like taking over the snow bunnies they come sentient or alive i should say yeah they come alive and they start attacking the teen titans and the teen titans decide to come up with hot cocoa and just (laughs) just um use the hot cocoa on the snow bunnies to melt them and then by the end of the story uh Raven comes with a whole bunch of friends and she's having fun skiing with them and she says she had a good time and she wants to do this again for the next weekend. So there goes the, that goes the end of that story. And then the second story it deals with yeah, it deals with um Cyborg and Beast Boy. They end up they're in the streets I mean, Beast Boy and Cyborg, they're singing like a Frosty the Snowman kind of um, song. It's just, instead of Frosty the Snowman, it's Friendly the Snowman. And they decide to come up with an idea to make their own Friendly the Snowman. In the issue, they end up deciding to tell Raven, Robin, and Starfire they're going to make a snowman, um, Friendly the Snowman, and for some reason, Starfire, Raven, and Robin don't want to participate, so they leave. So it's just Beast Boy and and Cyborg building a snowman, and they try to build a snowman the best they can. And they notice that the snowman doesn't come to life, so they end up finding a magic hat from from Mumbo. And putting on the snowman, and the snowman is some like he's like some jerk with a frozen heart, and the frozen yeah it just turns to like a non-friendly snowman, and what is it? He doesn't you know 
like what the way the snowman isn't like the way that Beast Boy and Cyborg built him because he's not he has a pickle for a nose and a, a wooden spoon with a spatula on the other. So and he has uh, pennies for his eyes and he doesn't like the way he was created. So he ends up leaving and Robin and not Robin Cyborg and Beast Boy end up going outside and see that he got melted and what is it yeah um so yeah they end up well the it wasn't just a magic hat that they was using they also using raven's magic and when the snowman gets destroyed raven finds out that they were using her magic and she was pissed off and it's just like oh this is this is you hope you guys learn a lesson from all this you know beast boy and and Cyborg, um, they decide to not care. They decide to make, you know, some pickle friends. I guess that's your was that's how the issue ends. Some comedy relief there, I, I, I can say. So here, yeah, that's how the issue ends. I decided to give this together an eight point I really did enjoy these issues. They were very funny. I really liked how. And the first issue, it's, I mean, the first story was that it, um, I really did enjoy the hot cocoa burning all the bunnies, melting them. I thought that was pretty funny. And be, um, Robin making all the snow bunnies for Starfire, that was pretty funny. So I really did enjoy the first story a lot. I enjoyed the second one too. It was a lot of funny inter- uh, moments with the, the way Beast Boy and Cyborg had to get all the items that they they didn't necessarily have. They didn't have any carrots, so they got a pickle. And they had uh, pennies for eyes and a spoon, a spatula. It was just really funny there. And I did like that the snowman ended up being a jerk. That was pretty funny in there. So they had some very a lot of funny humor in these two stories and i enjoy that so that's why i gave it an 8.0 the next issue is shazam number two the the writer is jeff johns penciler is marco santushi the colorist is michael aye and the latter is robert lay the story starts with billy batson his father talking to the foster parents about he that he wants to see he wants to take his son back and and yeah he wants to have ownership of take custody of his son and live a life with him and the foster parents are just uncomfortable with the situation was going on because they didn't know that Billy Bass's father was around and they just feel weird that he just come here and asking for the for Billy so the foster parents decide to try to see if asking Billy what does he really want because they don't know what to do. They, the foster children, means Billy's band, Bassin's foster children still, I mean, not foster parents want to have the, they want to have Billy still and they don't want to give him up so quickly. So they go to the room and notice that the kids are gone. So they cut off. They, the scene gets cut off there. And Billy and and all the other children 
with Eugene and uh, Freeman and um, Mary and all the other Shazam, all the Shazam kids, basically. They go to the train. Yeah, they discover this train that takes them to uh, Funland, which is like some type of carnival. By the end of the story, they end up meeting some. Yeah, they end up meeting some guy in the end of the story called um, Kid King, and that's where the story cuts off. But also in the story, there's also uh, a scene where Doctor Savannah is talking to Mister Mine in his ear. Mister Mine is in his is in his ear. And they're having a conversation about some magical book that gives them, that's supposed to like, I think, yeah, it's supposed to give him some magical powers. And they went to the doctor because Doctor Savannah was supposed to get you know checked up, and he ends up attacking the doctor when he the magic power ends up coming out from the book. So. They have that goes on as well, and that's about it for the story so far. I gave this issue a 8.0. I really did enjoy it a lot. I mean, I really did like the the com- the relationship between all the Shazam kids. They're, I mean, all the kids there. They're having a good time in Funland. The conversations are very fluid. They get along. You get to know. All their different personalities, they're all different and they figure stuff out. They have they have their good time in Funland. And the dynamic between the characters were very fluid. I actually enjoyed that part and I had fun with it. And I'm wondering how this will how Billy's father being here will affect the relationship between you know the life that he has with his foster parents and his, you know, foster brothers and sisters, like, or I should say adopted brothers and sisters, how, you know, how that, how he's gonna, is he gonna really go with his father or is he gonna stay with his foster parents and his adopted brothers and sisters? Is he gonna stay there? I wonder how it's gonna affect them the next issue. And, I don't know if the parents are going to find... The foster parents are going to find out that they're... You know, they have magical powers or stuff like that. Because apparently they're not in their rooms. And the parents are end up where they have been. So we'll see what happens with that in the next issue. I'm looking forward to that. And I wonder what's going to be going on with Dr. Savannah and, and Mr. Mine. I'm wondering what's going to be happening over there. We'll see what this goes on with this book. I really did enjoy it. It was very fun and entertaining. The art was very well done as well. It's very well detailed. Nothing nothing goes on detailed here. I really do like I really like the art that Marco Santuni Santucci is drawing here. Sorry if I said the name wrong, but yeah, it was a very fun book to me. I enjoyed it a lot. Now it's Star Wars number sixty, the the book is written by Karen Gillen. The artist is Angel Uzia. Colorist is Guru EF, EFX. And the letters is VC Clayton VC's Clayton Cows. And this issue it starts with 
they're squadrons, stormtroopers. They're fighting Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker finds a way to talk to Tula, and she gives him a a smoke bomb, and they use a smoke bomb as a distraction. Um, the the Tula's father, she he ends up um he ends up telling the stormtroopers to go hunt him and run after him. And then the the whole team ends up splitting up. Uh, Tula, Leia, and and Han end up going to the village to get their weapons ready to go. No, they they decide to not to get their weapons ready. They decide to prepare a ship to escape the moon and gather all the people that live in this moon. And Luke Skywalker and yeah, um, Dane Makona. Which is Tula's father and ruler of this moon here. Yeah, they end up having conversations, and Luke Skywalker asks asks him if he, why is what what is he, how did he obtain this moon, and why the supposedly the Empire never took over. And there in this story, there I mean he finds out that he was working for the Empire, but he said he doesn't know why. They want this moon. He, they told him to. They paid him to build a civilization here in this moon, and yeah, just build a civilization and just live here among among people. There's like a whole bunch of people that live in this moon, and I guess that's pretty much it. Apparently, the Empire never. They just paid him to have this moon here. This ownership, and that's about it. But they said that for some reason the Empire never came here. They forgot about this moon, and it was not fully explained there. So they talk about the moon, how the reason why. I mean, how the reason how he got. I mean, they talk about the how he got the moon. So they end up having conversations there, and then they just Luke and and Dane. They ended up meeting with everybody else to go to the ship. And Thane decides to stay behind. And he says he's going to fight the, the squadron by himself. Yeah, he's going to fight the Scar Squadron by himself. And everybody goes into the, the ship and leaves the moon. And they leave the um they leave Thane Makona in there. And that's where the issue ends off. I gave this issue a, a 7... Yeah, I gave it a 7.5. I thought it was okay. Um, the art is really impressive here. I do like Angel Yusena's art here. But the story itself is kind of uh, meh. Because I didn't like the when Dane and Luke Skywalker are talking. And he explains his mission of the moon. It's just not fully explained here. It's just... They give details, but not full details. And that just seems, again, half-ass. I don't like when they're trying to explain something and they don't give you the full story. It's just whatever. It's just like, okay, they say that the Empire paid him to take over this moon here, to build a civilization here. But the Empire never came here and did anything for them. It's like, what was the point of that then? If... It's like, okay, we paid you to live here, but the Empire never comes and and check up on this place, get any food or supplies or 
any materials that doesn't seem to make any sense here i think if if the empire were to tell a certain person to you know take over this planet and build a civilization here and I thought there would be some type of deal involved, like there would be some trading involved. That's how things work for when they tell you to take, I'll let you have, you know, ownership of this planet and I'll take the trading off of you. I take the resources and we we make exchanges of each other. It's like supposed to be some type of treaty, but there isn't any of that. They just took, they just told, they just paid them to take over this moon and then never bothered to you know, have any relations with them that doesn't make any sense to me. To me, there has to be a reasoning for this. Well, he said that there was a post. Dane said there's supposed to be a mission here, but he doesn't know what the mission is. Like that. Come on, that's half-ass. You know, explain. At least explain what the mission is here. Don't just say, "Oh, you're gonna explain why is he." You know, why is he here on this moon and why nobody's ever taken over and when you don't explain it? To me, this seems kind of... It's something I was really looking forward to the story to be explained and then it doesn't end up being explained. So that's what disappoints me here. It's just brushed off here. It's like they couldn't come up with an explanation when the story came up to it. So I didn't enjoy that um, aspect of the story. And the action just kept getting delayed. I mean, I didn't, I didn't like that in here either. It's like, oh, let's just throw a smoke bomb because the squadron is gonna, you know, fight us, and they run away to a ship. It's like instead of fighting off the squadron, the squadron is only like five people. Why do they need a ship to escape from five people? They could just defeat them and then run off. Or, or I don't understand the whole point of escaping. It just, I don't know. This story was okay. I decided to give it a 7.5. And I don't know. I just was kind of disappointed how it turned out. It wasn't all that exciting for me. I think I might even change the score here. Now that I explain it, I would give it a, a 7.0. Because the art is decent. The stories wasn't terrible. But it's just okay. Nothing really happens here. It's just... I don't know what's going to happen in the next issue. I wonder how that concludes. And I'm hoping that there's actually some type of conversation with the squadron. It's just... I'm getting sick and tired of them appearing in this series. And they have no personalities. I. It seems like... I don't know much about them, and like, they've been in this series. They've been, they have appeared at least three times, and they have not explained who these characters are in much detail. It's just brushed off, and they have. There's some characters with cool designs. I want distinct personalities from these characters, and I'm not getting any of that. So that just bores the hell out of me, and I'm kind of disappointed. So I gave it a seven point five because. Things happen here, but it's not terrible happenings. It's just okay. So, it's a lot of disappointments here. Now I'm going to be talking about Sideways number 12. The book is written by Shane Davis, Michelle Becklin, and Dan DeDio. The artist is Kenneth Rackerford. 
Colorist is Hi-Fi and Daniel Brown. And Letters is Dave Sharp. This story here starts with Derek. It's like an aftermath with the uh, the buildings exploded. There's like a science organiz- uh, science organization that that Derek's mother worked in, and the the people that killed his mother, they went to go capture Derek and do some experiments on him, and they try to see what they try to find out about the dark the dark multiverse that he has a the power that he possesses in in within himself. As is they're forcing the portals to be open in the in the story the the building is blown up and Derek is the only one that survives apparently and the detective detective Topkins ends up going upstairs to the building and see what's going on and he sees Derek there, he gets him out and they decide to have a conversation about what went on, like What's this destruction going on here in this building? Derek explains to it, blinks, explains it to him. He, he explains that the people that killed his mother, they try to force him to open this portal. As they're forcing him, you know, to this, the portal to be opened, the explosion happens, and there's like a whole bunch of monsters trying to attack the area. Yeah, the the monsters come in. They he opens the portal, the monsters come in, and the whole explosion happens, and everything everything turns into a black hole. Everything gets sucked in, and sideways is saved by the the he's like a watcher type of guy that watches what happens in all the dimensions of what's going on. So yeah, he saves up. He ends up saving Derek, and ends up closing the portal. That's what. Derek explains to uh, the, the detective, and detective says, that, "Okay, I'll put in the case file, and yeah, he'll let he'll let them he'll let I guess he'll put it on his case file that Derek ends up, you know, was tortured there, and the whole explosion happened. I guess that's what he'll end up putting in his case file. Derek, in the end of the story, ends up talking to his adoptive father, yeah, his foster father." They end up having conversations about what they're planning to do. Because uh, cause the thing is, the father, he never wanted to have a child. It was more of his wife. His wanted to have a child. It was more of her thing. And he never necessarily cared for it. So, But now she's dead. And he doesn't know what to do with this, with Derek. So he decides to, in, or, in order to have a life here, I'm going to need someone to help me here. So he decides to get Derek's biological mother, and she he brings her into his life. She you know, she locks on the door, and you know she says hi, and the issue cuts off there. I gave this issue a eight I really did enjoy this issue. There were some nice conversations with the detective and Derek. I did like how you know the detective actually figure out that sideways is Derek. I mean, he's supposed to be a detective, and I've always liked how detectives are always able to know who these characters are with just by their personalities, the way they behave. And I thought that was an interesting way of him finding out. I also did like the conversation with Derek's foster dad 
and they talk about how Derek's foster mother, how much of a person, important person she was in his life, how much she cared and wanted to have a child, and he didn't want to have a child. He was more. I like that they actually explained of what they're gonna do with each other, and there was some nice tender moments in here, and I also did. Yeah, so I did like that. The art was pretty nice. I did like Kenneth's art here. He really made it more, um, very detailed. There was nice, there was good facial facial expressions here, and the colors are really nice too. I really did enjoy. I just really enjoyed this issue, and I'm hoping that now that the next issue is the final issue, I'm wondering if. Like, how are they going to conclude this whole entire story? Because now that, you know, the story ends up here with his actual biological mother, I wonder how that's going to affect him. And I don't know. I've, I'm kind of... There's one thing I am disappointed about is that the people who worked for Derek's mother, I mean, that worked with Derek's mother, I was hoping for something to, you know, escalate and see why they wanted his um his, why they wanted the the power to go into the dark multiverse what did he want to find out about it it just seems kind of weird that you know we we get to this plot point and they end it with just that they end up getting killed off in the explosion or they maybe got sucked into the black hole no one knows what happened to them so I guess they just I guess the writers, I mean, the the people of the store um, that created the story, they just wanted to. Um, I think they just wanted to find a way to conclude the story without feeling rushed. I mean, and some because I know the next issues will be a final issue, so they don't want to leave any dangling plots like plots unfulfilled. So I guess that's the only way they could unfulfill it to kill the scientists and the people that work there off. I guess. Or leave it up in the air. Maybe they'll come if they're some point of, in a later time in this, I guess, universe. I don't know if Sideways is going to end up getting a series ever again in history. So we don't know what's going to happen to this character after this is over. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen in the next issue. And lastly, I'm going to be talking about is Ninja... I'm going to... Yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 90. It's written by Kevin Eastman, Bobby Carnell, and Tommy Tom Waltz. Artist is Michael Dianellas, and colors is Rhonda Patterson, and the letters is Sean Lee. In this story, the Ninja Turtles and the Mutanimals they end up having a funeral for Slash since he died in the previous issues, and Michelangelo has his speech talk about how Slash was an important person in your life, how he affected them in all kinds of way. And he he's emotional about it. And then there um Hob comes in and interrupts his speech. Talk about how he wants revenge, you know, on Bishop. He wants to kill him off. Cause he didn't like that he killed Slash. You know, Slash is a very important person in his life. And he didn't like that he, you know, killed them off in some sort of way and they you know Michelangelo and Hobb has some disagreements and 
Hob decides to tell people if you're either with him or not, and they cuts off to Bishop getting ready, and Metalhead is ends up meeting with Bishop, and he wants to work together with him to, I guess, fight the Ninja Turtles. I don't know what's going to go on there. And April, there's another moment that, um, after that cuts off. There's a moment with April and her parents. They move it into it. April's moving into her new apartment, and she brings all her stuff there. And then that part cuts off to um, the Ninja Turtles, you know, Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo, and, and Donatella. They're all talking to each other, and they're having... They don't know what to do about this this point that you know Hob came up with. It started to um, put them in all types of sorts of moods. They they have end up having disagreements with each other. Mike Angelo wants to wants to um, fight Bishop, find a way to take him down, but not kill him off. Raphael feels like wanting to you know like kill him off because he doesn't like what's going on here he wants revenge as well he he agrees with Hob and understands how he feels and Leonardo and Donatello they don't know how to feel the situation they they do understand both Michelangelo and Raphael's plot I mean points and Apparently, Raphael decides that we're not gonna, you know, kill Bishop. We always just leave the, we just wanna just leave the city and and you know have our own lives and move on from what's been going on. You know, run away from your problems, kind of type of thing. And I don't know for some reason, Leonardo doesn't agree with that, and he thinks that we should talk to Father and you know talk to Splinter. And figure out what should we do about the situation with Bishop. And it they end up um the the conversation cuts off there and it cuts to Splinter having a VCR and setting up a movie for the kids. He ends up getting some flashback scenes where the Ninja Turtles talk about great martial artists that they have seen in movies in the past. So, and then by the end of that, um, Karai comes in and says that she wants to take the foot back away from Splinter. So that's how the story ends there. I gave this issue an 8.0. I did like this issue a lot. There were some great moments with... I did like the arguing that went on with um, Hob and and the Ninja Turtles in the later in the later part point of the issue and I did have like those conversations because they were arguing with good valid points and they didn't make they didn't make a you choose a side here. It's like the Ninja Turtles didn't know what to do honestly. They don't know if they should kill Bishop or they should not kill Bishop or they should just leave all together. And I thought that was an interesting conversation because in the past issues, they used to be against killing from Splinter. But now that life has been a different point in their lives, 
yeah, now that life has evolved to a different point, they are changing the way their their patent their their thinking patterns are, and they no longer are in this like they're not all in one side. Like, oh, should be should killing be the right thing to do, or should not be killing be the right thing to do? They do see both points side of the view, and they're not all on one side and one one on the other. They're like in the middle and type of things and and the grieving of Slash is affecting them in some really deep way that they've never been affected of before. Because before they didn't have they didn't agree with Splinter's ways of, you know, killing villains because they didn't have someone close to that it was taken away in their life. I mean, they, they had someone do they care about life taken away. But now that they do, it's changing their behavior and their habits or the way of their thinking. And I like the way that it affects them in some sort of way that they never thought of before. So, and I actually appreciate that for this issue. And that's what made me like it a lot. So I'm hoping what um I want to see what the next issue is gonna ha- entail with with what they're gonna planning to do. The only part I did not like is with Metalhead. I don't understand why is he a villain because he's supposed to have the persona of Donatello. I mean he's original memories of Donatello, and I don't I don't like the path that he went. Like you know. The whole he went crazy type of thing, and it's like the whole old cliche of, oh, once you make an AI of something, it becomes evil. I I really get tired of that cliche, and I want a more of a humanity aspect when it comes to AIs. I don't like the whole, oh, you make an AI of something and it automatically becomes bad. It's just, ugh. I just don't see it makes sense here. If that's supposed to be Donatello, he should act like Donatello. It should be any different than it's like a oh let's make him some evil Donatello because he's an AI and that's what AIs are. They're just evil people. I do I don't agree with that. I do think that if you know if AIs were created here I think that it should have some type of you know, hum, hum, human personalities because that's, you know, how high, I mean, that's how intelligent beings are. They have, once they reach a certain level of intelligence, they have free will and have good and bad thoughts and they become a, you know, a certain sort of intelligent being. And there's some human emotions evolved that made them human, something like that. And I don't like that scene that with Metalhead, he's just one-dimensional instead of two-dimensional, three-dimensional type of person. And he should be if he was originally Donatello in an AI body. So it doesn't make any sense here. So I don't know what they're going to do here. I, I'm hope It's just I wish Metalhead was actually written better. I know he was in the previous Ninja Turtles. He was in the... Ninja Turtles spinoff with TMNT Universe and that book that series was never good for me it's just for some reason whatever Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz are not writing Ninja Turtles it becomes crap 
And for some reason, Tom, Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman decided to bring that story that happened in Inter's Universal Metalhead, bring it over here, and it just doesn't flow well to me. I don't know. It's just something I'm not particularly agreeing with for his plot point. So now I'm going to move on and talk about the best issues of the week. And the first one is going to be Uncanny X-Men number one. Is written by Ed Bryson. Color, you know, artist is Carlo, Carlos Gomez. Colorist is Guru e, at EFX. And letters is VC Joe Carmanga. Caramangana, I think that's how you say it. And um, with this issue, it, it starts off with Cyclops coming out of the grave. And then it cuts, and it's like. It cuts off there, and it's like a flashback scene where Cyclops was in the street, and there's like some ro- machine robot thing, and and is attacking a whole bunch of people, and Cyclops tries to attack it, and he ends up the, he ends up defeating the he ends up sub, he finds out the person who's controlling the robot, he knocks down the the technology that's controlling the, the thing. And he gets him arrested, and Cyclops ends up talking to this student. Yeah, the student, the student ends up talking to him, and and the student, you know, he thanks Cyclops for saving his life, and tells him that this was a, there was that he's the one that ex, um got the 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 professor that made this robot fired from from. From college because he was doing some he was doing some illegal um, stuff that wasn't appropriate for the school so he got arrested and it cuts off to a scene in the future and you see young cable talking to the student that yeah the student's name is actually Paul so yeah he Young Cable and and Paul is actually talking to each other, and he wants him to resurrect Cyclops. And the only way to resurrect him is if using this type of machine that he brought, he, he you know, Iron Man, the, the the machine that Iron Man created, Avengers, Avengers X Men, to defeat Cyclops. At one point in time, the machine got destroyed and failed. So, Young Cable asks Paul to, you know create this weapon this whole it's like supposed to be like a phoenix mother box kind of thing and it's supposed to resurrect um it's supposed to resurrect cyclops so they build technology they build the box and they wait into uh, a point in time where you know where cyclops did die like yeah, after he dies after the whole Inhumans vs X Men thing, and everyone leaves, and and yeah, so Cyclops is is resurrected from no, they end up taking his body after everyone leaves, and they have the after the cemetery, yeah, after they go bury him and have the X Men have a speech about Cyclops, etc. After that's over. Young Cable and Paul end up taking Cyclops' body, and they end up, you know, they end up 
bringing him back alive with the machine. And after that, yeah, they supposed to they end up it end up putting the machine in his body, and then they put the body back into the the the, the coffin, and they wait until a, per, a certain time where Phoenix um, leaves Jean Grey and goes into Cyclops's. It goes to Cyclops's body. It's supposed to like it's supposed to like send a signal to the Phoenix, and Phoenix comes in and resurrects Cyclops. And after that happens, Cyclops finds out that he's alive again. And after they resurrect Cyclops, Paul, younger Cable, and Cyclops end up having a conversation, and he ends up Paul ends up talking to Cyclops how much he is an important person in his life because he saved his life in that particular moment back then and he wants to take him for that and that's what he ends up doing then the story ends up fast forwarding to one week later and Cape, young Cable and Cyclops are talking to each other and Cape, young Cable decides to um, explain to Cyclops why he brings him back alive and he explains to him why he has the younger Cyclops' memories. He explains all that to him. And then the story cuts. Oh, he also tells him, you do have to come up with a choice in here. You either go save the X-Men from what's going on in what's been going on in the previous issues on Kenny X-Men, where Legion has been taken over by X-Men and fighting all the X-Men, either to save them or to save Paul. In his family, because the professor that that Cyclops fought in that flashback is gonna kill his his whole kill Paul and his whole entire family. So Cyclops decides to save Paul instead of saving the X Men, and um, so yeah, he he decides to do that. Yeah, Cyclops decides to save Paul and his family and take the villain down and get him. You know, knock him out. After he takes him down, he decides to. Uh, he notices. He finds out that the X Men are gone. He doesn't know what to do. Cyclops doesn't know what to do. He's gonna try to figure out a way to bring them back in here. So he's gonna figure out what what actually happened to the X Men in that explosion that happened in the last issue of Uncanny X Men. That's where the issue ends off. I do. I do like this issue a lot. It was. I gave it a 9.0. The reason why I like this issue a lot and I gave it the best, like one of the best issues of the week is because I do like Cable's reasoning of why, you know, Cyclops deserves to be alive because he should never have been dead in the first place. And I actually agree with that. The whole Inhumans versus X-Men thing was, uh, it kind of didn't make any sense to me because the whole, in the end of Uncanny X-Men with Bendis, there's a whole Martin Luther King moment with Cyclops, and they're supposed to have their their rights and all this. It was like a Martin Luther King day, f- but for mutants with Cyclops, and I I really did like that moment, and I didn't like how after Secret Wars everything fast forward to how Cyclops was some type of villain and. They tried to explain it in, in Humans vs. X-Men. It still didn't make any sense of why he's a villain. When he was trying to actually stop the whole fight with the X-Men and the Inhumans. And he ends up getting killed off in the middle of it. 
So it just didn't make any sense for him to be a so-called villain, and, and it just it was just a weird, terrible story moment there. And I agree that you know, Young's um, Cable said that you know Cyclops should never been killed off. That he could have done something for the mutants, and mutants could have finally be accepted to this world as human beings. And I accept that. I mean, I actually agree with that. I actually like that moment there. And he's hope you know, Cyclops is the only person that could set the mutants right and you know, fix what's going on with humanity and mutants. So I did like that part as and I did like seeing Cyclops saving a human's you know saving humans there because he's a type of you could see why he's a leader figure and why he he's very smart and tactical the way he fights and he, he like they actually show his intelligence there and I actually appreciate that. I really liked how Ed Bryson wrote this series. I mean this particular issue, not series. Because I've not been liking Uncanny X Men ever since the relaunch started. This whole new series has been releasing weekly. I don't know. I know it's supposed to be Ed Bryson, Kelly, Thompson, and and Matthew Rosenberg, which I'm not really a fan of Matthew Rosenberg, the way he writes his stuff so far lately. I don't know. None of his books so far has... Uh, I've not been liking. It's not, it doesn't gravitate towards me in a positive way. It just it seems like bad writing to me. And... Now that he's teamed up with Kelly Thompson and at Brighton, the writing feels very different. And I don't like the way the writing is capitalized here. It's just the writing isn't good for me. So I noticed in this particular issue, it's just Ed Bryson. I love Ed Bryson's writing, the way he writes characters. So he seems like he knows them well. He does the research. It seems like to me he does the research and he knows the characters' personalities. That's what I feel like Ed Bryson's a great writer. And now that he wrote this issue by himself, it feels different. The writing is more thoughtful and complex, and the characters are acting the way they are supposed to be. And I do appreciate the way he wrote Cyclops here and the reasoning for young Cable of why he thinks Cyclops should be alive. I did like those moments. So <clears throat> so I've been I like this this issue here because of that. And I did I also like the art that Carlos Gomez actually draws here. It's solid, not anything detailed. I even like the flashback scenes there. The art was different there and this was not even drawn by a different artist when it came to those flashbacks and I like that and he made the arts look different and it's like old comic book art style and the flashback and then the present time there's you know modern art style and I like the way you could differentiate from that the colors look good too from Guru he they they um the person there had, you know, good art stuff. I mean, like, the colors were very well done in there. They're very expressive there. And, yeah, so it was a very well done book. I gave, that's why I gave it 9.0. So that's all I can say about this book. I I wish Ed Bryson was writing the Uncanny X-Men by himself, but he really isn't. So 
I don't know if I'll be picking up Uncanny X-Men after this. I'll give it another try. I didn't like the 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 series before, and I decided to just pick this specific one because I want to see how Cyclops comes back alive, and that was my reasoning to pick up this issue. I'm not sure I'm gonna pick up the next issue because it's it could be the same writing team and art. Yeah, the same creative team that's been writing the series weekly, and I don't necessarily like the writing in there. So the next series I want to talk about is American Carnage number three. This is my really, this is my second best of the week. I thought this was much better than Uncanny X Men Annual number one. It's written by Brian Hill, Leonardo Fernandez is the artist, the colorist is Dean White. And the letters is Paul Brazio. This is from Vertical Comics. In this story, um, there's a... Yeah, the story um, starts with Richard Wright. He's actually walking in the street and he runs into these whole bunch of... These whole bunch of group of white guys. Like, there's some type of gang. They're beating up this black kid. And... Um... And... and what is it? Um, the white guy. There's a specific one guy that ends up putting the gun towards Richard's hat. Um, he pointed it, the guns at the gun at him, and he tells he asks him if do you we do you want to get involved and watch this person get shot and or yeah get beat up in front of you like they they want to like. The whole story with this is that back in the first issue of American Carnage, um, this cop Richard he he's he got he killed a black man by accident, and then and he was accused of being racist because he's um the thing is he's actually in this issue you find out that Richard is actually mixed he's not just white i mean he looks white on the outside but he's actually mixed of he's half black and half white but no one knows that about him and they just look at the color of his skin they do talk about that here and when he talks to um his boss and the issue after the whole after the whole gang fight the, the scene cuts off to him talking to his um his boss about you know undercover assignments, and he talks about his, his race and the boss. I mean his his boss thinks he's crazy that he has some identity issues. He doesn't really see that he's half black and half white. But anyway, before that, in the gang fight, um, Richard is caught in between whether he should save this 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 black kid getting beat up by a bunch of white people, you know, a whole bunch of yeah, the gang of white guys there, and he tries to save him, and yeah, the black kid ends up saving himself. He ends up killing all the white guys that were jumping him. He he ends up grabbing the gun from the guy that was pointing the gun at, at Richard, and as that's going on. Richard says that you can run away. He's not involved in this. 
you know, this thing that went on here. He wants, you can run away. You don't have to. Because the thing is, the, the black kid ends up pointing the gun at him. And he, Richard decides to tell him to put the gun down. You can run away. You don't have to be here. You can just act like this didn't happen. He just wanted, he was not involved with this. He wanted to, you know, walk away from the situation. He didn't want to be part of it. He was not involved with these white guys jumping on him. And the kid ends up getting scared, ends up trying to shoot Richard. And Richard decides to defend himself because that's the way he, you know, is already trained, prone into his mind to, since he's been a cop, to defend himself. So he pulls out his gun and shoots the black kid. And the black kid ends up getting killed. And Richard's like, God damn it. Why are they, you know, why are they doing this to me? Why are they putting me in these, like, why is life putting him in situations that he doesn't know what to do? He he doesn't, he's not a racist, and he's putting into situations that make him look like a racist. And the thing is, people don't know that he's half black and half white. They just think he's just a white cop that likes to kill black people. So... He's like they put that he's getting put into these situ- situations. So as this goes on, uh, what is it? Richard doesn't know what to do in this situation, so he decides to call his lawyer. And lawyer said that she's gonna send someone to pick him up, and she'll see what what they can do with the situation that happened here. She sends someone, and this someone comes in to pick up Richard. He's wearing some um, uh, mask of uh, Obama, some scary Obama mask. He goes to, um, he tells Richard to take a picture of him sh- um, with the gun pointing at the the white kid that pointed the gun at him earlier. So he tells to take a picture of that. They take a picture and decide to go to the lawyer's house. And the Richard decides to talk to the lawyer, talk about he doesn't like what's been going on being put in these situations where he feels uncomfortable and he doesn't know yeah he doesn't like what's been going on here and he feels like the lawyer has been setting him up for something and and as 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 the conversation has been going on some shootout happens there there's a shootout in in the lawyer's house it's like guns are blazing in there and what is it? The lawyer tells Richard to uh, to go check up on her daughter to see what's been going on, to see if she's okay. And he went to go check up on her, and and she she seems okay. He was protecting her as the shootout was going on. And after the shootout is over, he goes downstairs and tells the lawyer that your daughter's okay. She seems fine now. And the shootout was over. They they left after the. I think. Yeah, after they destroyed everything, the people just left, I think. That's how they show the issue here. They notice that when they go outside, they have, there's a cross with fire. And Richard decides to ask the lawyer if she has any idea who started, who's starting this. And she said, yes, I do. And also on the issue, there's also a, a moment where f- Richard's friend, a close friend that he, ha- he knows... Um, apparently the last issue, she ends up getting drugged. They went to, Richard and his friend went to a restaurant to have a conversation and she ends up drinking something and knocks her out. She got poisoned from something that was put into the drink. 
And after she gets out of the hospital, she talks to her boss and saying that is Richard try to kill you? And she doesn't believe it. She doesn't think that Richard tried to kill her. Is that he was caught in the situation that's been going on. And she doesn't think that Richard killed her. And the person she's talking to thinks that you're just um, being some type of bias or something's wrong with you. I think your friend did try to kill you. Something like that. But she said that I'm going to go home. I'm fine. I don't think my friend tried to kill me. I think I'll be totally fine and figure out what's been going on with Richard and this lawyer. So that that's what also happens in this issue. And that's how it and this is how the story that's how the story is for this issue. I get this issue a nine point five because the the action is very intense here. I it, I like how Richard is put into into these situations where he like what I said earlier, how he isn't a racist, but he's put into these situations that makes it look like he is a racist. And I I do like the whole political aspect of this book, how people view things based on just looking at the color of the skin and not knowing who the person, what the person actually comes from. I mean, the person, the thing is, genetics are are weird in some sort of way, where a person could be half like he could have a, ha- a black mother and a a white father, and you know, genetics make it in one way that he looks like a white person or he may look like a black person or he might look like a person who's actually mixed genetics are weird in some kind of way that you know does the outcome isn't always that the person looks mixed on the outside and society doesn't view things that way they just oh you're they look at things based on skin color so whatever your skin color is they think that's the only part that you are i mean like they think that richard is white and only white he's not just because his skin color is white they don't see the mixed features they just look at the skin color instead of the hair or the eyes or any other minor details that establishes him as a mixed race um you know human so now that he's put into these situations that, you know, kills people that are black and he's getting caught in between them and they think that he's some racist white cop that deserves to be killed. And, you know, it's just this book is talk about the thesis of, you know, being racist of white people and how people view it these days and what's the controversy between that and what goes on with racism in this country and not just a foe. I know the main theme is for white people here, but they also do talk about racism in other particular races as well. And it doesn't take any size. That's what I like about this book. It's very political and it, and it explains everything that goes on here. And it's very crazy. The action is very well done. I do like the art detail in here. It's just a very phenomenal book. I've been I think it's the best vertical book that's out now. And it does political things right. And that's what I like about this book. Because most people that put political book um make political books, it's just one sided. And I I don't agree. I don't like when politics are given in a one sided view because it makes you wanna 
it makes you choose a side here. And he, I mean, like, you only given one viewpoint and you only see one viewpoint and you don't see the negatives of that viewpoint. It's just saying, oh, this is right without explaining why is it right. And here, there's, they actually explain both situations and you decide which which political movement in this book is is you know right for you it doesn't pity you into one side instead of instead of bringing two sides of the story and i liked what's been going on here and it's talking about its relevance to what's going on today's world and it's very engaging when it comes to that and i really like what's going on here so it, that's why I decided to put it as the best book of the week and gave it such a high score. And there goes the end of my best of the week segment. And now I'm going to be talking about my pull list here. <clears throat> the pull list is... Um, my This week's pull list will be Detective Comics number 997, The Flash Annual number 2, Flash The Flash number 63, Action Comics 100... 1007, Justice League Annual Number 1, Spider-Man and Deadpool Number 45, Miss Marvel Number 37, Teen Titans Annual Number 1, Batgirl Number 31, Captain America Number 7, Star Wars Dr. Offer Number 28, Dr. Strange Number 10, Batman Beyond Number 28, Terrific Number 12, Justice League Odyssey Number 5, Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary Number 6, which is the final issue, Dead Man Logan number 3, X-Force number 2, Man Without Fear number 5, which is also a final issue of a miniseries, Exiles number 12, which is another final issue of this series as well, of Exiles. I'm also going to be picking up Raven, Daughter of the Darkness number 12, which is also a final issue of the series, Books of Magic number 4, Sinus number 13, and Age of X, there's also Age of X-Men, Alpha number one on the Unstoppable Wasp number four, Mysteries of Love and Space number one, which is a DC Valentine special book. Then is Journeys into the Unknown's World number one, which is a uh, another Marvel, you know, just one of those old Marvel books where there weren't superheroes in the fifties, I think. Yeah, they're doing a whole bunch of one shots of those, so I decided to pick the pick that one up. And finally, is Scooby Doo team out number forty six. And I might try to review that one because it's the end of the storyline. And I might try to review the final issues. We'll see which one comes out the best. And I'll put whatever I couldn't review in the honorable mentions. So that's my pull list. We'll see what Aga comes up with for next week. I don't know what his pull list is going to be. He didn't discuss that with me yet. So we'll see how that goes. And... And you can look forward to the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Hopefully we will get to see you next week. And enjoy the next week's show. So talk to you guys. And see you then. Later.